Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About It, the St. Petrox podcast series celebrating the positivity and resilience of the Cornish community throughout the challenges of COVID. At St. Petrox, as we work to end homelessness in Cornwall, a big part of our work is supporting people as they face challenges, challenges often complex and not of their own making, to places in their lives where they are able to sustain, grow and thrive. So we wanted to talk to people across the county, many of whom have connections with our work, to shine a light on the fortitude and robustness of Cornwall as a whole at a time that has been pretty dark for a lot of people. Hello, I'm Jessica, voice of the St Petrox podcast, and today our Christmas special episode features an interview with our very own Chief Executive, Steve Ellis. Thanks for joining me today, Steve. Hi, Jessica. Steve, you've got, this is a bit of This Is Your Life, uh, you've got over 40 years experience in the homeless sector, 20 years in local government, followed by several years in the private sector, leading to you holding the role of Chief Executive at St Petrox. We're going to chat today about how the charity's managed itself through the pandemic up to now. And we're going to look forward at how the homeless services can work in 2022 and beyond. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to hearing what you're, what you're going to say today. Thank you. Um, so we'll go all the way back to March 2020, which feels like quite a fair way ago now. At the beginning of the first lockdown, what are your memories? How did that all unfold? Well, you're quite right. Um, it does seem an awfully long time ago. Um, I think we all knew something was happening. Um, COVID, nobody had heard of, you know, three months beforehand. And I don't think any of us were truly prepared for what, what we were about to encounter. Um, on the verge of the lockdown, um, personally, I just had a whole series of dreads about whether or not we would be able to continue to provide our services and uh, indeed what they were going to look like going forward. Um, that dread quickly changed quite dramatically towards uh, optimism after speaking to members of the staff team. Uh, we had to make a decision almost overnight as to whether or not we could continue our service provision or whether we would be part of lockdown as well. Um, Morally, we felt as though we had to go on because if we weren't open, just where were the client group going to engage? And the charity has, uh, is renowned for its tenacity and renowned for its commitment to delivering services. So those opening discussions with uh, staff, particularly those who are going to run the operational side of the charity, were truly important. Without exception, they were committed to remaining open. We just needed to know that we would be able to abide by the regulations and all of the protocols. And we did quite a bit of work, again overnight, making sure that legally, as homeless services, we were able to stay open. And that also uh, what services we would be able to provide uh, at that time. Uh, probably the most significant thing was that um, in our resource centres, in order to be able to manage the traffic, you know, the number of people moving in and out, we had to reduce the number of people who could be in the building at any one time. So uh, in order to accommodate the client group, 
we actually extended our opening hours. And that straight away meant that although people might have to wait a, wait a little while, they would still nonetheless be able to have access to services. I was really grateful at that point that, and reassured by the staff that providing we could make sure that they had enough uh, protective equipment and that we had enough masks, sanitizer. Um, we had lots of yellow tape so as we could put on the floor to make sure that people kept their distances and making sure that the staff knew what the protocols were uh, and then they in turn would be able to relay those protocols to the clients. Um, the response was just extraordinary and the staff team adapted overnight. They were able to continue to use their skills and we stayed open. A week or two in, we really did discover just what was going on around us. Uh, we were mindful of the fact that everywhere else had closed. Of course, one of the key instructions as a nation we received was that we had to regularly wash our hands. Mm -hmm. And if you were homeless, I, just where were you going to wash your hands? Because all the public toilets were closed. If you would normally have used a cafe or a coffee bar or you know, a community centre or, or even a church, they were all closed. There were no pubs. They were closed. There was literally nowhere where you could ch ch wash your hands. So the resource centres became something of a lifeline in terms of being able to allow people to follow the protocol. And the resource centres also became uh, a hub whereby they could give news of the pandemic because if clients had a mobile phone or normally they would get news via radio or just by being out and about, they were not meeting anyone else because everywhere else was closed. And actually receiving information, if there was no Wi-Fi, and there was no Wi-Fi available because everywhere it was closed, they couldn't pick up information via their telephones. And in fact, they couldn't recharge the batteries on their telephones. So the resource centres were not just about being able to get advice or guidance or uh, all the other things that they provide. It was also providing a new layer of information and an opportunity to get messages to people efficiently and quickly and also properly reflecting upon what the protocols were moving forward. So uh, we pretty quickly adapted to what was expected of us and actually changed the way in which we approached our work. So um, I moved through the gears in terms of feeling a sense of anxiety over what we would do to feeling very reassured and then feeling very optimistic that irrespective of how long this was going to go on for, providing we were able to maintain enough protective equipment, masks, sanitizer, gloves, all those things, that we would do our best to continue to provide services for as long as lockdown took. You mentioned very briefly there things like sanitizer and masks. How easy was it to access all that PPE amidst all those shortages everywhere um, and all the essential things to keep people safe? Well, we were, we were receiving advice from Public Health Cornwall 
which was consistently good and helpful to us. Um, but actually uh, getting hold of masks and sanitizer uh, at, in the beginning was, was quite difficult. And I think nationally, uh, we'll all recall the stories of how government were trying to buy in bulk uh, these items for distribution. In Cornwall, um, uh, we were blessed by the fact that we started to receive offers of help from our, within our local community. And we publicly said we needed support. And then we just started to piece by piece receive. Um, the, the examples I would give would be uh, Healy's, the cider company, who uh, stopped making cider and started making sanitizer. They gave us a huge donation for free, which enabled us to be able to give it to the staff and the clients. We also had examples such as students at Falmouth College who used a 3D printer in order to produce uh, masks, which were of such a high standard. Uh, they were so much better than what we were able to purchase anywhere. Um, and the, these things came, I, I'm not going to say out of nowhere, but they, they, they came uh, uh, with absolute consideration for the fact that they were going to be used by us to deliver our services. It, it, it was the, the beginning of us realising that the community itself is the one that makes the difference in these incredibly difficult times. You also talk about going from anxiety to this almost utmost confidence that our work was so essential and nothing could be getting in the way. Once you'd established kind of working patterns with the staff, what, what were the major features of the work that was being carried out? We realised that we were working with uh, anything between 150 to 175 people a day. And um, I'm sure everyone listening will remember how um, supermarkets started to run out of food. And I can very clearly remember a nurse being interviewed on national television who just finished, I think, a 12-hour shift and had gone to the supermarket to find there was nothing on the shelves. And our key workers were struggling in many areas to access basic you know, fundamental things like food and, um, you know, toiletries for their home. Um, uh, again, a community response um, in Cornwall uh, was led by, um, uh, you know, Cornwall's blessed by having some fabulous restaurants and having some celebrity chefs and do TV work and all kinds of different stuff. Um, we needed to feed, you know, a, a, 170, 175 people a day. Um, and we found that the support network we received, um, again, came from a number of different sources, but we were having food from the Hidden Hut, from the Rick Stein organisation. St Michael's Mount gave us all the food from their cafeteria that was there. Um, we, we were able to provide food on a daily basis and keep people fed. Um, I, I, out of absolute generosity by all them people. And not only were they locating food, emptying their freezers, um, emptying their food cupboards, they were, they were actually cooking the food as well and then delivering it to us. So all we had to do was distribute it to the client. Um, at this point, that just took a whole weight off our minds because we knew if people were fed, then it would be much easier for us to get them to stay within the protocols and to enable people 
So as they weren't out and about, they weren't looking, they, 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 you know, so many of them didn't have any money in the first place. Um, and they, and even if they did, they'd have had difficulty accessing food. Um, but this meant that the services were able to remain open. The client group were able to be fed. They were also, I, I, we also knew that all the meals were nutritious as well. So this was, you know, high quality, well-balanced, and if people are eating properly, generally their, their their physical well-being and health remains good as well. So this was another example of whereby we were the recipients of absolute kindness. And I've no, I, 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 I still sometimes wonder at just how much they saved the public purse by providing all this food. Um, and they did this willingly and they did it with absolutely good grace. And um, I'm sure it contributed to the general health and well-being of all of those people who we were working with. It became clear fairly quickly that COVID was here to stay. As we got through summer and into autumn 2020, we had new challenges as the rest of the world opened up a little. Things like the accommodation that uh, residents had been put into with the everybody in policy was no longer available. What was the mood in the charity at that point as, as new challenges arose? Well, we tried to use the optimism to make sure that we were forward thinking. Um, the The government policy of a ban on evictions um, was helpful because it meant it, it was helping reduce the number of people who became homeless. The Everybody In campaign was equally helpful because it meant, um, in real terms, nobody should be sleeping outside. You know, there was an opportunity, irrespective of status and background, that people should be rehoused somewhere. So those two policies helped enormously. In Cornwall, um, we regrettably, we still had a small number of people who we were unable to get inside. Um, but we were able to support and manage them whilst they remained outside uh, without too much of a uh, burden on the resources um, but it meant that we were having long-term conversations with them about the need for people to come in because it's just so much easier to manage their health and well-being if they're inside as opposed to outside. Um, the uh, As we were approaching the winter time, our traditional night shelters, um, which is where we used our resource centres and we would transform the space um, on a daily basis from being used to do, you know, interviews, being used to do um, engagement with clients, that they became bed spaces. And we would have camp beds or indoor camping equipment, such as sleeping bags and pillows um, for people to use to make sure that they were inside during the winter months. This was just going to be impossible under the COVID uh, protocols. It would have broken every possible rule. So we, we knew that wasn't going to be an option. And we considered whether or not we could put some form of temporary uh, barriers up within the resource centres. That was either going to prove expensive or just logistically impossible because we needed to use the space every daytime as well. We were fortunate that um, we were able to get some uh, money through government grants uh, and also from su support from national charities such as Crisis. And we... Um, we opted for a dispersed scheme whereby 
we would use small hotels, small bed and breakfasts, whereby all, each individual client would have uh, ensuite rooms uh, in whatever location they were in. Um, we were very, very um, mindful of not putting, you know, four or five people in the one place. Um, so we tried to do people on their own or in twos, um, but the, the rooms had to be self-sufficient um, and it had to be a, a place whereby they could continue to stay within all the protocols. Uh, last winter, we, we started that service in the middle of December and our, our original thought was that it would run through to possibly the middle of February. Um, by the time we got to the beginning of February, we realised there was no shortage of clients and that gave us a concern. And equally, um, we just felt that unless we could secure accommodation for people, uh, closing this service down um, would be uh, just be adding not to the problem, not helping resolve it. Uh, that service, at the behest of the staff team who managed it, went all the way through to Easter. Um, we were able to continue to use the grant funding that we'd received. And at the end of that programme, um, it was 40 different individuals had used that service. 85% of them were all secured accommodation moving on. So it was quite some achievement. And again, it was, uh, I, I, I truly do believe, it was the best possible use of government and grant funding uh, to make sure that people remained safe over the winter months. And the success rate was really uh, uh, down to uh, not only the hard work of the staff team, but also because the clients themselves appreciated and understood we were in a pandemic and also were very, very mindful of the opportunities that were we were able to create or find that they were very compliant in terms of taking them up. So our winter programme last year um, made us think harder. Made And, and actually, our conclusion when we got to Easter um, this year was that uh, that exercise was so much better than what the previous uh, night shelters had been and within a heartbeat we decided that for winter this year that we would look to provide the same sort of service um, because we knew we could deliver it because it had been so successful we were able to much earlier this year, try to find some grant funding that would enable us to do so. And I'm really pleased we've been able to do that yet again. It's just made us realise that just because something's been successful in the past doesn't necessarily mean it's the best way forward. So new thoughts, new ideas and new innovations are always welcome, particularly if you can prove that they work. And the, the final comment I would make upon that winter service was that the support we received to deliver it was once again astonishing. For all those landlords, landladies, uh, people who ran those establishments, um, we really did build up a very, very warm relationship. They treated our clients with dignity and respect. They treated our staff equally the same. And I, I'm really, really hopeful that as we go into winter 2021 and that'll roll into the early part of 2022, we'll be able to use many of those establishments again 
because the relationship worked so well. Just the support we received over um, enabling that service to, to, to deliver. Once again, food being provided. Once again, donations of food that were able to be converted into meals. So um, uh, whilst our staff were at the very forefront of it, the delivery was also somewhat dependent upon grant funding being available, which it was and, and is, and then the wider community really stepping up and acknowledging that all of our client group should be treated respectfully and that gives them the opportunity then to consider what their options are going forward. That power of the community really can make a difference, doesn't it? It's astonishing. And, and uh, no matter where people live, um, everybody thinks their community is the best. Logistically in Cornwall, people generally live in communities of less than 3,000. So although we have a wonderful city of Truro and many of the big towns, Newquay, St. Hostel, Camborne, Penzance, they all have absolutely wonderful infrastructures of community support. Um, the smaller communities and the smaller towns and villages equally have the same. And um, this is something of a sweeping statement, but I hope people will uh, will appreciate it when I say um, Cornish people are inherently kind and they are inherently generous. And we at St. Petrox are the beneficiaries of that kindness and that generosity. And we have a responsibility to make sure that it is um, used in the best possible way and also used that we get the maximum amount out of every pound that's donated or the maximum amount out of every donation of food or set of meals that we get. Um, And we try to do that with as much fairness and equality as is possible. You touched a little earlier on how, as an organisation, St Petrox had to think differently. You used the word new innovations. Often we only innovate when there are things that are different. What would you say have been the challenges that have forced us to innovate as an organisation as the pandemic's continued? Oof. Um, well, from the, the role that I have, I think what's important is that you're able to, uh, first of all, try to understand what the difficulty is. And sometimes that, mean, that means you have to have data or you have to have facts that enable you to then understand what, what your problem may be or what the scale of the problem may be. And then it's important that you have a combination of experience and also um, enthusiasm. Because if you don't have energy and enthusiasm, most things won't get delivered. Um, but St. Petrox is surrounded uh, within the staff team. We have a very, very good balance between experience and uh, also enthusiasm. So we, we have a nice mix of established staff and newcomers. And the other thing is, is that it's the quality of the people who, who work there. Um, that I would say that the um, abilities of the current staff team, volunteers and trustees is on a scale that we probably have never had before and their contributions and I'll go further than just and their contributions it's the manner of their contributions because the, the, the motivation and the driving force is all about the work so there's no room for egos 
there's no room for people thinking they're the ones who have the solution. It has to be um, what's in the best interest of the client group, what is going to address the particular demands from the client group. And it's it's making sure that the appropriate information is available and then we use our experience and skills to do the right thing in the right moment. Um, and we are blessed by fabulous trustees, a well-balanced staff team, and the support from volunteers is just uh, it, it's so heartwarming because you, you get a combination of skills, experiences, and commitment. We've been able to, or, or tried our very best to, harness all of those things. And that has led to us thinking differently because before the pandemic, the idea that we would have had a winter service in which everybody had their own ensuite would have been a, a pipe dream. Whereas now, um, that is a reality and we're not going back to providing services which are any less than that standard. Um, the, the ability to extend the opening hours so as we can have less people in a building but still be able to manage the numbers. And uh, during that period, we also had, and, and you may well recall because you worked on part of this project, we developed a telephone app which um, we were able to give to our clients and that enabled them to have contact with us 24 hours a day they could get advice they could get guidance people live their lives through telephone apps these days but being able to create our own app and being able to have it tailored exclusively for uh, operation in Cornwall was just a fantastic innovation and it just showed the ability to recognize a problem the problem was staying in touch with people consider what would be the best way of maintaining that contact through a mobile telephone. And in many instances, we supplied the phones. We got grant funding, so we were able to purchase the telephones, make sure it had a high enough spec on it to have the app. And then the app enabled us to stay in touch with people throughout lockdown. And they could talk to us either through text or uh, through the phone, or, or if if it was absolutely necessary, be making the point the appointments for personal interface to make sure that we could get things right going forward. Just real improvements upon the work, and I do believe that's because as a charity we recognise standing still isn't an option, and if you're still going to be providing high quality services, we all believe that everybody who's homeless should get the best possible service available to them and if we do that then we have a much better chance of reducing the numbers and we have a much better chance of people not coming back to homelessness. The innovation to solve problems rather than be a sticking plaster is definite positive of the Covid challenges that we faced. Moving on to another quite different challenge here, something that all organisations have had to navigate throughout the pandemic has been managing finances. I hope you don't mind me asking this question, but financially, how has the charity managed? Well, I'll go back to uh, my original thought in March 2020. We have absolutely high class accountants and our finance team 
They are absolutely brilliant at making sure we get value for money. And the staff team, whether it be supported accommodation or outreach or no matter where they work within the organisation, they're always mindful of the fact that every penny spent has to be spent wisely and has to be spent in, in the most appropriate of ways. We as a charity absolutely believe that if people are investing in us and then we have to be able to explain how the investment has been spent and what we've done with it. And we've always been as transparent as we can possibly be over if we are given money, what it's spent on and how it's spent. And we we always strive to make sure that we're the best possible value for money. At the beginning of the pandemic, all the thoughts and suggestions from all the think tanks and all the national organisations were that charitable donations would drop off and that uh, people would struggle to actually get money. Of course, the furlough scheme started. Uh, Many other people took an opportunity to utilise the furlough scheme. That was never an option for us because we were staying open. So if we were staying open, we still needed finance to not only pay the wages, but to pay the electricity bill, to make sure the gas bill was paid, to make sure that all the services we provide could still function. My first thought was, oh, crumbs, where's the money going to come from? We had to look at the members of the staff team who do fundraising and who do um, look to write the bids which were able to secure grant funding, whether that be for staffing costs, whether that be to keep services open, whether that be to make sure that as many clients as possible could access those services. We tasked that part of the team to uh, just go one step beyond what they'd ever done before. And we, we were really fortunate that we were able to display, because we were open, we were able to give first-hand accounts of how we were managing the COVID experience. I remember being invited to speak at a conference being held by the National Charity Crisis. Not only was it an honour and a privilege to be part of that, but I was able to give a perspective about the work in Cornwall. And we were just able to show and demonstrate that through support, you could deliver services. And if you delivered your services, then not only were you helping the individuals, but you were also helping the county because, you know, it's not in anyone's interest to have anybody sleeping outside or to be vulnerably rehoused. But you're also nationally helping at the time of a pandemic because the more secure people are, the less likelihood were that they were going to actually get COVID. We tried to, again, be as thoughtful as possible about portraying what was actually happening in Cornwall. We had some wonderfully personal stories which the clients allowed us to use and we were able to, because we had the data, explain of the number of people we were helping and supporting and that then helped us to access funding uh, via central government or through other charitable trusts and the COVID money that came along, the bits that we could access really did make the difference. And even that, we considered we might still be a little bit short. In the middle of last year, we had a crowdfunding appeal. We started off thinking that if if we could get £5,000, that might just keep the resource centre, you know, definitely open for a while longer. When it went past £10,000, we really couldn't believe our luck. And it went on to give us in excess of £30,000. And that came from all walks of life. You can't fail any of those people. 
They trust you. They give you their money and they trust you to spend it positively and they trust you to spend it in a manner that they intended it for, which is stop people becoming homeless and for those people who are homeless that they get the best possible opportunity to not remain in the homeless setting. That form of generosity on the back of our winter service appeal that we had, which broke records for the amount of money uh, that the charity was trusted with, it, it can be, uh, I, I will use the word quite overwhelming because it's yet another example of people wanting to support the idea that we shouldn't have homelessness in Cornwall. And our ambition to end homelessness in Cornwall is shared by so many people. And they recognise that in order to achieve that aim, we just need to make sure the services are open and are fully operational and are as current as possible. So don't go trying to provide a service that would have worked two years ago because COVID has changed the complexion of how you operate. So you have to make sure that it reflects the current demand in terms of protocols, in terms of health regulations, in terms of everybody's well-being, and it gives people the opportunity to move away from homelessness, not on a temporary but a permanent basis. So the winter appeal money, the crowdfunding money, just donations, and, and privately throughout the entire pandemic, we've had donations from individuals which all help, which all make a difference. It's a privileged position to be in, to be the recipient of so much kindness. I suppose if I have a message to all those people who've donated, it's not only do we appreciate it and we truly value your support, but I give you my word, we we will not waste a penny of it and we will do absolutely everything we can to make sure the services remain of a high standard uh, moving forward. So, moving forward... As we approach another Christmas and we are just starting another winter appeal, what plans are in place for this winter and beyond into 2022? I would say that we learned so many lessons last winter, not least of all, we're able to conduct an exercise now in which we're pretty confident we will be able to utilise throughout the winter months whereby people can stay within all the protocols. I mean, as we're speaking at the moment, the new variant seems to be taking hold of the country. So it's more important than ever that people are able to have secure accommodation and for them to be as protected as possible from the virus. I, I think the other thing that we've learned is, is that all this time now into the pandemic, physical health is really important. Being healthier helps you should you get COVID. But I also think the other thing that we've had to recognise is, is that Uh, The mental health of the country has suffered throughout the pandemic. The mental health and well-being of our client group is constantly under scrutiny. In fact, the mental health and well-being of all the staff team and the supporters is also equally important. We need to factor in to how we operate the fact that in some instances we have some very tired people because they've been working such long hours for such uh, a long time. And that's, re- that's similar to what happens in our with our fabulous NHS services. Um, I mean, at the moment, the people who are doing vaccinations, they're just virtually working around the clock trying to deliver that. Everybody who contributes, it's equally important that their mental health is taken care of and that 
we, we do not overly burden people in terms of how they go about doing their job, that we are able to support people if they're having particular times of difficulty. We need to encourage staff and volunteers to have time off so as they're not working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, four weeks a month, 12 months a year. People do need some time to have some respite in in whatever form they they choose that to be. And I think we need to recognise that if we have a workforce and trustees and volunteers who are healthy and who have a good balance between work and domestic life, then we're much more likely to get a better return when we go about our business with our client group and trying to help them to manage their mental health and well-being is equally important. This winter, we were asked, could we start earlier? Because we were concerned about the numbers of people who were outside. Um, So we actually started on the 1st of December. They're scheduled already to go now to the end of February, which is more than what we originally scheduled last year. And we have a provision that should it be necessary, we will go into and possibly to the end of March next year. As well as delivering the services that we did and continuing to look after and support those people who were in our supported accommodation. There's every likelihood that on a daily basis, we will be looking at anything between 180 and maybe 190 people on a daily basis. And to do that, everybody needs to be as healthy and as well as possible. That's an extra consideration this year. In terms of what else do we do moving forward, it's well known throughout the county of Cornwall that we have a housing problem. It's not a new problem. It's one we've had for a little while. It's particularly acute at the moment. And there are issues related between house prices and wages. There are issues in in terms of how rental prices for those who uh, can't get on the housing market. And for those people who are seeking accommodation, there is just a shortage of accommodation um, for people, whether they be homeless, working or just trying to start out in life. From our point of view, we would hope that we would be able to bring into play yet more accommodation in which we can support people. And our ambitions are that we currently have 145 bed spaces. Our ambitions are that uh, throughout the year of 2021, we will be looking to add at least another 20 or 30 uh, to that figure, which is quite some undertaking. But nonetheless, we will be doing absolutely everything within our power to deliver those extra bed spaces. And also making sure that We've been fortunate enough in 2021 to find some grant funding, which is about vocational development, which is to enable people to get back into community engagement, to get training, to reconsider education and hopefully consider um, employment in the longer term. We have high hopes that being able to engage with the client group in a manner which allows us to build their personal self-confidence and their personal self-worth and to connect again wherever possible with training or education back to employment and that's another ambition of ours that it's not just about putting a roof over somebody's head it's about making sure when they do have that roof that they are safe and secure 
able to sustain that where they're living and to give them a, a window into looking to how they might be able to uh, re-engage in terms of their own futures through training, education and hopefully full employment. Looking back at the way that St Petrox has navigated its way through the pandemic, what are you most proud of? Certainly the uh, the length and breadth of my colleagues uh, throughout the organisation, trustees, volunteers uh, and definitely the staff team. They've never come up short. I'm not saying we take it for granted, but we we, are, we, we kind of have an unwritten rule here that you work as you work and you know you better make sure you do a good job because we all expect it of, of of ourselves and each other but it's the ability to think on their feet it's the ability in the very tightest of circumstances to find solutions it's the ability to be able to realize that because it worked yesterday it may not work today and then they have to find another way or another route um staff trustees volunteers they've shown themselves to be truly at their very best when they've been most needed uh, in the pandemic. And and the other thing that I'm most proud of is I belong to a community. I'm filling up now as I say this. I, I belong to a community which is inherently kind and generous. You can't put a value or a price on that. No matter how difficult circumstances are, if you're in a community that cares, then you've got a chance. And we will always be grateful for that, for the fact that we live and work in an environment whereby we're prepared to take on the difficult jobs, knowing full well that we are fully supported by the Cornish community. That's something to be proud of. It absolutely is. What have you learned about yourself during this time? Well, I'm old now, so I'd like to think I, I know myself. I've learned to to make the emotion work for you. I've learned that it's okay to be frightened and to not allow that to dominate your thinking and thought processes. I say that I don't face up to the fears that homeless people do on a daily basis. And I've learned that you have to find ways to adapt and to try to move things forward. And if we can take that approach into our work, then we can try to take away some of those fears for the client group. I've learned to appreciate more than ever my colleagues, learn to appreciate my family and realise that however difficult the pandemic is, I think when we reflect upon this, we will also be able to reflect upon all the good things that happened. And that's not to undermine any of the difficulties in the pandemic or the losses people have had, because I can't imagine what they must go through. But Cornwall's responded well. I'd like to take this as an opportunity to say thank you to personally my family for supporting me throughout the pandemic. And professionally, a thank you to the volunteers, the length and breadth of Cornwall, who've supported us. Uh, All those people who've donated, thank you to all of the trustees who give their time and expertise freely and it makes no difference if it's 10 o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock at night they always take the call and for being there for us and to the staff team for being 
we kind of have an expression at St. Petrock's, which is, thank you for being you, which is, you know, you're the one who makes a difference, so you're the one who is, you know, we're pleased to be associated with. And I'd like to say to them, thank you. The performance has been astonishing. The relationships they've built has been, they, they will be long-lasting. We really do need all those things because whilst the pandemic is with us and homeless people are still around, we need to be able to manage both those things with dignity, respect, and with constantly finding solutions to whatever the difficulties are. So it's a thank you. Thank you to you for allowing me this opportunity. Thank you to anyone who listens in. The work will go on. Thank you very much, Steve, for taking your time to share your experiences and your reflections. On behalf of all of St. Petrox, I'd like to say that we have only been able to make it through this with your wisdom and your guidance. And you used a few words, which I've noted down. You used the word much earlier on, tenacity, commitment and innovation. They're all things which uh, are definitely around the organisation, but they very much are led and are driven by you. And so we would just like to say a, a really big personal thank you for being a, a fabulous chief executive and just an all-round wonderful human. We all wish you and to all of our listeners a very happy Christmas and hope that everyone manages to catch their breath for a little bit before 2022 begins. And as you say, our work will continue. Thank, thank you. you. If you'd like to find out more about St Petrox and how you can support our work to end homelessness in Cornwall, please visit our website stpetrox.org.uk or follow us on social media. Search St Petrox on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn.